Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 203 today. Uh, we're going to be discussing traveling nobodies and psychedelic journeys with John Folak. Uh, John has a podcast and a series of books. I think it's a five-part series, and you can check out the links down below the video or the audio podcast. And uh, before we get started, everybody head on over to Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh, I just put a few up there from, you know, with our recent guests, um, Douglas Kenyon, I put one up there, and uh, Dr. Michael Masters. Um, The Dr. Michael Masters one was actually one of my more favorite Patreon segments we did because we kind of flipped the script and he interviewed us. So uh, if you're a Patreon member, check that out. And if you're not, it's definitely worth checking out. So um and one more thing head on over to indrasweb.org it is live this is a social media platform we created to connect open minds so whether you want to hypothesize theorize speculate about all the topics we discuss metaphysics and all those things all those great topics head on over there and sign up for an account and without further ado welcome on the show john thank you very much for having me guys i appreciate it no problem of course um so why don't you give us a little bit of a background on what your we can get into your books in a minute but just how you got into this hero's journey archetype stuff and the psychedelic stuff and all that of course i suppose what i did to start getting into all this was just take my call to adventure in life and this is essentially a part of the hero's journey but this basically just initiates the journey and at the time i didn't really know what that meant. I didn't have this sort of framework to talk about these things. But what it looked like for me in my life was I was out of high school. I was just flowing with the sort of, I guess, unfulfilling plan at hand was just to attend junior college and get basic classes knocked out because I didn't know what to do. So it was sort of like a lack of plan. I was just going through motions and I was frustrated. I was living in Chicago. That's where I was born and raised. So one terrible, bleak winter Chicago day. I just sunk into a meditation, basically. And I didn't even have the framework to use that word at the time, but that's what it was. I essentially emptied my mind because I was spinning my wheels and I knew it and my life was static and I didn't know what to do about it. So this would have been me, I guess, initiating a dialogue with, you might think of it as the higher self or just the infinite source. And what came to me out of nowhere without any practical influences in my life in this way was pursue aviation become a pilot. That's what it told me. And I don't recall if it was actually a voice or just like an idea that emerged, but that's essentially what happened. I was given this intuition and you might just think about it that way, which did not come from me. And I recognize that, you know, the egoic me. So I began to pursue that a little bit, just look at different schools within the state, what would be practical. And then oftentimes as the hero's journey does, the thing just kind of laid itself out for me in the beginning. I was accepted to one of the first schools I applied to. And then fast forward a few years later, I got all my certificates. I was a professional pilot. And that ran me right into a really fulfill, um, 
it was fulfilling for the time, but a job that basically just put me in the mainstream construct, if you will. I was just going through the job and I, I was leading my life and I, I guess I should have been good to go. And then I ended up meeting a girl and I was fell in love and all of this and things were seemingly good. However, then they blew up. And that was really what started to bring me to the psychedelics. I, I went through a, a heartbreak, and this was all because of the models and worldviews that I was bringing to the table. They were flawed, and they were eventually going to implode or explode, and they did. It was just a matter of time. So it, it culminated in that heartbreak for me, and that was probably one of the biggest catastrophes that began to, to wake me up. Of course, the cycle is infinite, right? The waking up cycle. So I would never say something like I've woken up or anything like that. But that really started me along the path of questioning, which brought me to the visionary plant medicine. Mm, sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you were in, you know, were you a commercial? Did you do commercial or private? What, what were you doing when you were flying? Yeah, at that point in time with that job, I was flying smaller airplanes, still single engine Cessnas, and I was mapping the cities of mostly the U.S., a little bit in Canada and a little bit in Puerto Rico with a company that was contracted through Google, actually, at the time. So it was just like grid line work. We were just flying back and forth over these cities for for Google Maps, essentially, is what the data was used for. So it, it was a really cush job to to put it lightly we didn't work a ton you basically needed to have sort of clear days and i say that so as to bring up the point that i was comfortable in a way which didn't allow me to push into the unknown you know it was almost like that that cushy uncomfortability of of the position it just it was false you know in some sense it was like a bubble and i just found it so it was like ride it out as long as you can and then eventually it ended up bursting through the heartbreak. And actually, eventually that job just ended up straight up dissolving. It went out of business. So I was forced out one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your books here. Um, you wrote a five part. I mean, there's five different books and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I read one wow. of them. I haven't, uh, gotten through all of them yet but i i like what i've read so far were you always interested in writing or is this something that you got into more recently or thanks man and i i wasn't historically or it wasn't really a part of my process in life it was really my first go with ayahuasca the plant medicine that ended up essentially telling me in a similar way to how I, I told you guys I was told to pursue being a pilot by by the higher self. Ayahuasca seemed to give me a similar mission, and it was basically write all of this out and investigate the hero's journey. So quite literally, kind of advancing to that point in my storyline, I'd gone through this heartbreak. I had sought the mushroom to begin to heal. I eventually had numerous experiences with that on my own. And the mushroom in my explorations, it showed me a representation of the infinite in one point, which was just the infinity symbol, the figure eight, avoid the top of just space. It was blue and it was showing me this, right? Because I had asked to see the all, it was curiosity that, that sort of pushed me to that point after initial healing. And I didn't know what to do with that lesson. It was almost as if the mushroom was sort of telling me just behind closed eyes was by myself in the place I was living at. It was telling me, if you wanna see, we'll show you. The rest is up to you. You got to figure out what to do with that. And so I came back from this voyage not knowing what to do. But 
the only thing I, I thought that made sense was to investigate other plant teachers, right? You wouldn't take just the opinion of any one given expert. If you're looking to get to the bottom of something, you got to triangulate your info. So that's what caused me to seek out ayahuasca. And then when I did, I booked a retreat in a center in Costa Rica, which was spectacular, by the way. And someone there recommended that I check out Joseph Campbell, just another random person I met. And, and his work is essentially the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. So you see it really late, just like all stemmed from that. And so I, I had the ayahuasca ceremonies there. I was given a similar teaching, the infinite, but it was much more imbued with that eternal love. It had that component to it. And when I first had received the same sort of message from the mushroom, it, it was devoid of any kind of feeling. So this feeling of love, of like infinite um, bliss, you know, the, all of these things that you hear about from people in this space, that that was present. And it almost seemed like from that point on, it wasn't just the experience, but love sort of took the form of a evolutionary propulsive mechanism within my life. And to answer your question concisely, that's what forced me to write. And I use that word deliberately. It's almost like I couldn't not write. Like if you're seeking to open up as a channel for for source and allow its information to flow through you, you got to get out of your own way. And so I, I did. And I began writing over the next year and a half. And the first book was Psychedelic Hero's Journey of a Traveling Nobody. It was essentially the story that brought me up to that point, which outlined the hero's journey and just my every man character going through it. Because the more I pursued this path, I realized it seems to have legitimacy to it, the cycle, like almost it underpins some of our actions in the world, especially when you you go out there, take these calls to adventure, and it could be thought of as sort of this archetypal blueprint. And I was just seeing myself having acted it out once the cycle came into my life, you know? So it's not like I was superimposing that upon life and acting it out. It was already happening. And I thought, there's nothing different about me from anyone else. So this has value. And I had to explore that through writing. Right. Some of your other titles are The Organic Spaceship, The Digital Motherboard, Unexplored Territory, and Beneath the Surface, and you mentioned the psychedelics, uh, Psychedelic Hero's Journey. Um, so when you're talking about these different plant teachers or plant medicine or uh, psychedelics, um, you mentioned the first time, what was it, that you did psilocybin, you mm-hmm. didn't get any sort of the same response or something like that um what was that experience like like what was so different do you think do you think it was just so new that maybe or did you have a history leading up to that i did not i had no history of of any usage of any of the plants really of any drugs for the most part i was an alcoholic when i started all of this too i should note so that was my drug of choice it was like the culturally abused one of course it's pretty common so that was me. I fell into that pit. And I'll just mention, side note on that, the psychedelics helped me to see that trap. And so I just came up on my five-year anniversary of no drinking. So, oh, uh, congrats. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, again, I'm just one version of that story. That's not too terribly uncommon in, in these plant medicine territories. But, yeah, the mushroom almost seemed to call to me. I believe what I did when I was going through this heartbreak was I think I just Googled, like, natural cures for depression. And I came upon some of the studies that were out there by the Johns Hopkins University with psilocybin is being used to help people with right. PTSD and such. And I thought, well, if it could help something heavy hitting like that, surely it wouldn't be a bad route to investigate for a heartbreak. And even more metaphysically too, I didn't know what was happening to me at that point in time. I was basically a materialist and I just mean 
uh, believe her in what I could see, touch, right. feel, taste, mm-hmm. you know, all of this. So I didn't understand how it was that I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was in pain for, I mean, no joke, like a week. And, and I'm sure anyone out there, you guys know, if you've been in a legit heartbreak, that's that's kind of how it goes acutely. It really messes with your life cycle. But anyhow, after that, it, it was more diluted. It was just kind of like this depression. And so that's what allowed me to, to really begin to investigate the, the mushroom. And I did, as you said, the first couple times, it did not particularly deliver what I was looking for. I had read a lot about it and listened to a lot about it, and it did not give me a breakthrough experience. Now, of course, I dosed lightly the first time around, mm-hmm. and then it was three consecutive days, basically. So the first day didn't really give me what I wanted, nor did the second. By the time I ran into the third day of usage, I did get a breakthrough experience, and I felt as though that experience held the power of, of sort of healing. And, and without diving too much into all of it, I began to see through my direct experience the legitimacy of the healing power of these plants. And so I would honestly say from there, it began to be more curiosity. You know what I mean? That you uh, caused me to explore these spaces. But that's still like furthering the journey of, of purpose and fulfillment. And eventually that just built up even with the mushroom into more and more intense experiences, which then led me to, to ayahuasca and, and what I previously talked to you guys about, which then started the whole writer's journey. So you see, it's just like this constant cycle of development, right. essentially. Yeah. What kind of doses were you taking with the, the psilocybin? The first time around was about one dried gram. So not much at all especially when you haven't used it before to break through. That's what I now refer to as sort of like a Zen enlightenment dose. Just Mm -hmm. in my experience helps you appreciate everything. If I am to trip with someone, I sort of recommend that for the first time around, keep things calm enough. So one gram the first day, the second day I about doubled it. So two ish. And then the third day I basically doubled that. So I was getting close to the five gram heroic dose essentially that's how it looked yeah the interesting thing is is i've i mean i've done it we've talked about trip reports i'm not going to tell again how many times but i've done it a lot of times probably close to a couple hundred if i had to put a number on it um and i can honestly say that i don't think i've ever had success taking them two days in a row and i haven't done it in a long time but in my early 20s uh, we used to just, you know, do it and not really have reverence for it and just, oh, I've got the, you know, and then take it a couple of days in a row. And I've never, after, like, I've, after you have that experience for like a day or two or like that first time, the second day you take them in a row or whatever, it doesn't really have the same effect. So it's kind of, uh, but you've, you said you take, took more. So that's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard of somebody doing that where it's one, then two, and then four. Um, mm-hmm. and then having that, did you feel like, those three days that you were um, kind of in a different realm in terms of like, there's no, uh, cause like when you come down, obviously it's even if you t- took like one gram and you said, or whatever that come down is still, you're still going to feel, you know, you'll probably feel a lot better, you know, than, than taking a very high dose, but you know, there's still a come down and then the two grams and then, but what I'm saying is, did you feel like there was some sort of like, weirdness those three days like you didn't feel like yourself not particularly although what you're saying can definitely be true especially in the beginning i've noticed if you explore these things nowadays i don't find as much of that come down as being kind of what you described oddly and i'm not exactly certain why but but anyway to the point there i didn't 
really feel much of the effects from the first two days. I mean, I, I was definitely in an other sort of space. I remember the second time around, I was in a bar and I remember watching people and I just, I knew that everyone was sort of acting, including myself, we were just acting out these roles, right. you know? So you, you, you do start to step into that observer space, but what I'm basically getting at with that is it just didn't deliver what I had read about. And I was looking for a real breakthrough. I was looking for other worlds, other dimensions, or just a deep dive into the self to really kind of come to some kind of understanding about a more, I don't know, deeper nature of reality or something. And it didn't really deliver. So I was hell-bent on achieving that. So perhaps that kind of clouded the whole experience, because I guess I was aimed strictly at that, and I wasn't paying too much attention to anything that didn't deliver that. So by the third day, once right. I had that, then I knew like, oh, wow, these things really do deliver. And, and that's where I sat with him. Yeah, I guess just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that um, when you do um, concise, I've never had, like I said, locks. So I guess for me, the most successful I've ever been is if going long periods of time, you know, in between and yeah. then taking like, a, you know, three, four, five, six, something like that. Um, and then really, you know, exploring. But um, if you, you know, it's interesting though, the way you did it. And like, did you feel the the third day, was it intense? Like having done it now more times after that, does it did it feel as intense? Or did you feel like because you had done it three days in a row that maybe it was a little bit diminished and if you would have spaced it out, there would have been more of a, a breakthrough? Intense, just oh, okay. to concisely answer you. Yeah, it was fully there. I remember the feeling as I was walking around my yard of thinking and, and feeling, obviously, wow, this is really working. This is what I had read about. Right. This, Yeah, this is what people are talking about, and this is what it is. This is the mystical experience. And, and obviously, you're addressing like a really legit point. Yeah, the body does develop resistance, essentially, to psilocybin. I think LSD is similar as well when you're consecutively using it back-to-back -back like that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, hey, let's get real. If you just keep up in the dose, you get yourself where you need Right, to right, right. Um, yeah, and I think the weird thing, like my first time, I remember when I was a lot younger, um, I took two, two and a half, and I was actually staying the night at Maurice's house. We were in high school, and I remember it not coming on, you know, for like two hours. And I almost had to realize that it was happening for to happen it's it's like it's kind of bizarre to think about that way it's almost like getting high or you know smoking for the first time uh kind of like even though you do it you almost have to like realize that it's happening in a certain way um and then once you're like oh this is what's going on it, you do start to like understand and real you know uh you're aware of these these different um feelings and emotions and and also visuals too so um yeah, I just remember that. Did, did you feel that at all? Like this, this, mm -hmm. not just that you were having this experience, but that you, you became aware of it within it. Like it's, it wasn't something like, yeah, it takes hold in your body, but you almost have to like accept it, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. If that isn't a lesson in and of itself too, right? What you just said is true. You sort of have to notice, notice what, how to notice you know, it's like sort of a thing. Right. That's one of the first things that I do notice in myself when a psychedelic is taking hold. It's just that I begin to see things and pay attention in a way that 
it isn't too terribly odd, but it wouldn't normally exist. Right. Just sober. Yeah. So for sure, I did in reflection, I experienced that the first two days, a hundred percent. I think a, a funnier and more clear example of that was when I tripped with my, my father at one point and he had never messed with any of the psychedelics. So I had been on my journey for a matter of years at this point. And he knew what it was all about from me that is, right. but without his direct experience. Yeah. And we have a really good relationship. And of course he loves and trusts me and I am. So I said, dad, look, th- this, if you want this is a cool thing to do in order to explore the mind and see the world and all of this and he said okay let's let's give it a try so we dosed with that light amount on a memorial day weekend years ago in chicago and beautiful day and we were hanging out in my yard and he actually drank a smoothie with it which i recommended that he didn't do i was on an empty stomach yeah i'm like nah dad you probably don't need that but he wanted them okay whatever so we're about an hour in and of course i start to feel it i know what's going on and he begins to ask me, he said, is it working? And I said, yeah, yeah, it, it's working. It's working for me. I'm noticing it. But yeah. this goes to the, the point you were making. I think it certainly was. And I had some very clear evidence that it was for him. And this was just based upon what he was doing in the world. So, for example, he was telling me that the trees look like big broccoli hmm. and that they looked as though they were breathing. And yeah. when they swayed, he's like, it's almost like a sea anemone. Yeah. <laughs> so I said. I said, Dad, look, saying things like this is a direct indication that it is, in fact, (laughs) working for yourself. But again, that speaks to the point you're making. You almost are just sort of like flowing with it and might not necessarily notice at first. But when you you have maybe someone else with you, like me, you know, that role I played for him, I think he was unable to see, oh, yeah, I guess I am viewing the world a little bit differently. So that's a very valid point to make. Yeah, it is weird. Um when you were talking with him or having that experience, did that make your relationship better in a different way? Or was there anything that came out of that that maybe um, you weren't expecting? Mm-hmm. Not that one with him. That one was just pretty cool, um, all in all, because it was a light dose. And it was kind of funny. You know, just on that experience, we had our neighbor come out, who, who my family's very close with, so it was no problem. Right. But he, he came out in the yard and hung out with us while we were high. <laughs> <laughs> so, And he didn't know we weren't going to address a how. How are we going to bring this up? But I think he knew something was up, our neighbor, because I was just walking around looking at things. and <laughs> <laughs> wasn't trying to appear overly odd, but I wasn't too concerned with like keeping a lid on it either. So anyhow, that was... A more entertaining part. Probably of that one story. of these people gets so into their yard. Yeah, yeah. yes. This guy loves I, nature. <laughs> I think my neighbor said to me at one point something like, "John, you walk much?" <laughs> because yeah. I was like walking around and paying attention to <laughs> my steps and all of this. But the second time around, I tripped with my father, which was the last time. There were only two times. It was a very different experience. It was environmentally different. It was. November in Chicago, so it was quite cold, and it was a really cold day. And we went outside. We basically repeated, but the conditions were so much worse. So that probably jaded the experience a little bit. But then, too, I recommended that we about double the dose, the same kind of protocol that I went through. And I just told my dad, look, if you want to explore a thing a little bit more, I I do recommend that. That's what I did for myself, and, and we're in safe territory with one another, so why don't you try? And he was down. So we took about two, two and a half grams each. And we sat by this fire outside, froze for three hours. My dad's a Chicago firefighter, retired. So he had his old fire coat on and everything. And he's huddled over the fire. Like, that's how um, blistering cold it was. But anyhow, what really ended up coming from this experience for me 
was the idea that you you really can't be shouting this psychedelic message from the rooftops, or perhaps you can, but it really is only for those who feel and hear that call themselves. So what I'm saying is with this experience, my dad didn't himself. He was doing it for me, more or less. And of course, a little curiosity, I'm sure, but he was more or less doing it for me. And what I noticed as we were tripping is he just didn't want to face himself. He, he didn't want to de- deal with what the mushroom was bringing up, which was okay. We ended up talking to each other. It was, it was very calm. It was, I think, to what you were saying, too, something that did strengthen a bond between us. But if there was any overarching lesson for me, it was, look, these things are tools to those who potentially want to use them to understand more. But if that doesn't exist, you're giving a tool to someone who's not interested in using it. It's just not going to work. It might right. even do more damage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are powerful tools. And look, I mean, I've changed my point of view on these uh, psychoactive compounds over the last probably four years in a big way. Um, You know, we come, we're musicians, we come from the school of Grateful Dead, Fish, all that kind of stuff. So we're very into, you know, the jam scene and everything. So growing up, that's kind of how we got introduced uh, to these compounds. And like, it's part of that culture. Yeah, Um, a party. Yeah, so it wasn't even parties, just like integrating it in with music, live music and live experiences and stuff like that. So, um, but as I got older, I just started to realize, oh, you can meditate in darkness and come out with a lot of great insights or find out a lot about yourself that maybe you can't see normally in day-to-day consciousness or put yourself in other people's shoes and look at, you know, the way you spoke to them or the way you interacted with this person and look at it from their point of view. You know, there's a lot of benefits to these things that are just not normally thought about when you, you know, like you're talking about like the party scene or, you know, a show or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I think that you have to approach it that way if you want to get something out of it, that's more than just a fun experience, you know, like if you're looking to, you know, if you've got depression or you've got anxieties or you've been dealing with some sort of trauma or an emotional, you know, experience or something like that, uh, you have to approach it with the rev- the proper reverence. And I think that that's why a lot of these ancient and indigenous cultures have been so successful with these for so long is because they treat it that way. So I think that um, I think that we're in a kind of a transitional phase now with, you know, where medicine and science is and they're taking another look at this thing and kind of, you know, we've had quite a few psychedelic scientists on the show now and, uh, lots of good information, lots of insights, and, uh, they run these experiments and tests and, um, lots of stuff can be taken from that. But I think there's also something to be taken with how they've been used for thousands of years. So I think it's like integrating those two things together and just having a proper reverence for these tools. And, um, yeah, I, I like your outlook and I like the way you approach them in terms of, uh, this calling or this thing. And it's not for, they're not for everybody. You know, that's why they're trying to create these compounds that don't have the psychedelic component in it. You know, like they want people to be healed by some of the other alkaloids, but they don't necessarily, some people might not be into the psychedelic component of it. So, I mean, that's the way I look at it too. It's like all these topics, a lot, some of it's esoteric, you know, I think esoteric is esoteric for a reason. It's not Mm-hmm. that it's just some secret knowledge that's been kept away from the public. It's like almost like you have to be a seeker to find it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, but I do like, um, you know, the aspect of your books, you know, the hero's journey and t- 
taking this this call to action and um do you think that when you took the call that you were anticipating where you would be now or where you you know you think you're on the verge of going absolutely not and i think that's required to be said really when it comes to this the way that my whole story take took form was essentially like i told you guys i got this intuition go do this and then that led me to sort of the next thing which was in some ways a cycle of its own just that pilot job right and then that brought me to like the next big wake up i told you the breakup which brought me to the psychedelics which brought me to, to writing so what i'm really trying to say there with that outline is no i had no idea where this journey would take me but when I was way back there, 18 years old, Chicago, being really unfulfilled with my life, and some intuition said, go do this, who is I to say otherwise? And I think the call to adventure has that quality to it. This is something that comes to you and says, go do this, and you just do. Why? I don't know. I mean, I don't fully understand that. I think it is the call of the higher self or of source self, which is the call to develop in the world. And you don't know where that's going to go. Why would you ever do it then? Why would you leap off the cliff like the fool does in tarot? Well, I suppose there's a kind of underlining faith in the benevolence of this process. If we are, let's just say to put it kind of cheesy, if we are children of source, it seems like source cares about us. And if there's a narrative structure to this thing, which the heroic journey seems like it is, then you you almost get like rewarded through synchronicities, through other intuitions, through feelings, through meeting the right people at the right time that further your developmental journey and through finding meaning, purpose and fulfillment in the process that you simply would not have any way of knowing or understanding prior to taking that call. So that's why you do it. It's almost like... There are parts of you that know that in some way, and it's all wrapped up into that intuition. And of course, your conscious mind is unaware of it, but this is why you would act that thing out. It is a type of faith. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's for sure interesting. Um, I mean, I definitely big fan. I've read obviously Joseph Campbell and um, Carl Jung, and you know all the archetypes. And it the weird thing is, is we have archetypes. You could go on this hero's journey without psychedelics too, and just go mm-hmm. through a life, and you know, go you know, you, you have your calling, and you go through the different stages and steps. Uh, but then you look at it from like the psychedelic lens, and it has its own set of archetypes and ups and downs and stuff too. So, do you see it as more complex like that, or do you think that you can kind of integrate those two and come up with its own set of archetypes and stages and stuff yeah it's a really good question i think my life path has been exactly what you just said it's integrating the two which is simply the heroic cycle which as you highlighted there doesn't have anything to do with the psychedelics that's just totally outside of it and then my path has been the visionary plant medicine which which has led me to that so it's been an integration of the two basically and then of course living that out in the world so that i directly understand and experience these things myself you know it's not secondary knowledge it's through living and like i was telling you guys then seeing oh wow this is what i've been doing anyway and it, it kind of fits with elements of the cycle now i just want to say too really quick on this it might seem odd that i'm not necessarily someone who shouts about the psychedelics that much because all of my books have been written on them and i have led a, a life path that is essentially using them as supernatural aids within the journey, which is just a mentor, a teacher. That's what that part of the heroic journey represents. But more of my 
message has to do with the heroic journey. And and that is very simple. I think this applies to all of us, and I'm fairly convinced it's accurate. It is that we are a representation of infinite intelligence. We are the fool. We are evolving in this cycle that seems like the heroic cycle, which is life. We take that call to adventure, the call to development. It's ultimately aimed at something like the treasure, which is highest and best personal use for us in the world. And I would define that as the thing that you can do in the world, which is the most fulfilling and meaningful for yourself, takes care of that animalistic, selfish part of it, simultaneously being the best way you could exist for your fellow man within the collective. I am convinced that's real. That's a real abstract pathway within the matrix of life. And that's something like the treasure which applies to everyone. And now having found that treasure, if you do, or something that you think is pretty darn close to it, the task at hand is to take it and to return it home. So what does that mean? It means basic integration for yourself. And this might be through your discipline with your art or your whatever your deal is, whatever your highest and best use treasure is. But the idea behind bringing it home is just that, is to bring it to the collective. And you might think about this just in a way that you think about, say, an artist that you love, you know, a musician maybe, and they, they really put their everything into their work, right? You could you could feel it. I mean, when you hear a song, it's not as though you like it because you like this lyric or, or the other. I mean, of course, it might have meaning, but you really have this sensation of, of what the art is communicating to you through the vibes, through the song. And that comes through based upon the, the artist's commitment to their discipline, and they're bringing this sort of like transcendent essence into the real world in this integral process and then giving it as a gift to their other selves, their fellow man. You know, it's like source communicating with itself about itself through our individual representations of itself. And so that is bringing your treasure back home. And I think that applies across the board to each and every one of us. It's just one hell of a task to figure out how to go about it but if there's any kind of strategy or blueprint it really seems like that formula or the heroic cycle helps us to understand this blueprint yeah, you like mentioned you mentioned you before you were kind of like a materialist or just whatever you could see touch you know the five senses where do you stand now do you believe that there's more than meets the eye or there's more to life you know, there's different realms out there that we just can't see or touch or I mean, how, where do you stand now with all that? I think when you seriously explore the psychedelics, you you very quickly discard materialism because it just doesn't hold up anymore with your direct experience. So I went through a process of that, of course, saying what I thought was only in existence is actually not. There, there are clearly other things going on behind the curtain, behind the material veil. So that's what the psychedelics initially offered me. Through my process of pursuing them and questioning them and then taking the lessons and, and living a life based upon that in order to grow and develop, I think that it is now something like a big, intelligent mirror. And I, I really mean that. I hope that doesn't sound too abstract. But the more I'm in there, I realize you can get caught up in the sort of duality of the, the spirit world as well as you can get caught up in maybe some duality in, in the physical world and in, in materialism. So what I'm saying is when you continue to press into these things, it's like you're just peeling back more and more layers. And then with experience, you gain almost more capacity to try to look through more of it. And then it's a representation of the infinite. It seems to circle back to the perceiver. You know, it's like going in, maybe you, you get like a Taurus type pattern and you go in deep enough. 
deep enough and deep enough and now it circles all the way back around to that initial source so my perspective in, in short and on the question is that source exists and this isn't i would say a belief i would say i've been there enough and I, i've seen enough of it to just say that that is real it's impossible to talk about there are no words that are going to be able to suffice when it comes to pointing at it but you can point at it and that's like the zen deal i'm always using the finger pointing at the moon is something that a person uses to look at the moon but they don't stare at the finger too terribly long so this goes back into the idea of it's got to basically be through your direct experience that might be psychedelics that might be meditation that might be yoga that might be just life experiences that begin to show you that this transcendent essence that does exist and seems to animate this whole show so just in a little encapsulated nutshell on that, if we're to say source exists, the infinite exists, which again, we can't grasp or anything like this, it's all information on top of itself, like holographically, right? S seemingly, and that's like the best we could do to explain it. But if that is to have an experience, how would it do so? Well, it seems like we would have limitation. We would have individual frame-by-frame -frame reference, which is something like us within space and time. There seems to be code, though, to the source as well, like the source code, which is ordered, coherent, could be thought of as natural law and the higher order principles, love, compassion, pursuing truth, these things. And it seems like those can be stitched together throughout that heroic cycle in a way that almost blueprints your way to directly know the Godhead or something along those lines. So I hope that sort of answers part of that. Yeah, Um and to be honest with you, I mean, I, when we started this podcast, I more, I had more of like a dualistic perspective on all this, like you mentioned, like the universe and mind and body and all that kind of stuff. But I think I've kind of changed a lot, uh, in the sense that now I believe everything's one, like more non-dualistic, more ancient Veda style thinking. But I will say that by saying that, I think that there's so much that's undiscovered or unknown that it might as well just be something completely different or foreign, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where people get those ideas. I don't think that it's, you know, philosophy, I think, you know, has come a long way. And there's a lot of people I don't I don't think you could probably find too many modern philosophers that believe in uh, dualism. But what I would say is. I think that that's where people get that idea is this idea that we're always growing and figuring out things and searching and discovering new things that there's this whole realm of undiscovered things and there's a whole universe out there. We're just pretty much stuck to this planet other than sending probes out and stuff that um, the mind in itself can, you can go deep as well. So it's like you can go, deep into inner space in your mind you can go deep into outer space physically you know there's all these unknown things so i think that that's where i would say that most people probably get that idea of dualism mm -hmm. um have have you ever been like a uh, religious or had any beliefs prior to any of this stuff and like how do you feel about that now I was born and raised Catholic. I went through Catholic school and high school, which was all male, all boys, by the way, my high school was. So that was just the program, I guess, that was running. But I never really subscribed to it. I just right. went through motions, I guess, like most kids, a lot of us out there. But I would say that I fell into a very basic trap, which was like the controlled opposition. I just went straight atheist after that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that that's, I think, pretty common, too. So in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, 
that's what I was rocking as a worldview. And all what fed into that isn't so surprising, right? It is the materialism too, and it was the alcoholism. And that's what I was kind of telling you guys. It all culminated in that heartbreak, which was necessary to show me you're just wrong about almost everything that you yeah. think is correct. Yeah, so that was destined to blow up. But I would basically say I never had, even with my atheistic thoughts, I never had them as armor that was impermeable. So there was always some sort of sense of curiosity about the unknown, which is a real part of the heroic cycle too. And that's sort of what the conscientious person has. It's what else is there, you know, and, and that kind of curiosity I think could lead to a sort of healing, especially when paired up with taking your call to adventure, learning a little bit more, not being so certain in the world and hopefully then just finding more of a, of a harmony within life. Sweet. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I mean, I was raised Catholic too, and I went through the motions as well. And I actually didn't feel um, close to any sort of metaphysical thing or God or anything until I tried psychedelics for the first time. And then I was like, oh, there is something bigger and greater than us. So it's weird that it's almost like you you're you know you're taught all this stuff or there's this path or the you know whatever your your parents want you to do or whatever and you do it and um it's almost like a shell or a bubble and then um you realize though that like what's what is this like what am i doing this there's no like i i don't know i just had i just never felt any sort of connection to anything greater and then you have this experience you're like oh I get this, you know, I don't know about that, but I get this, you know, so. Yeah, it does seem like the psychedelics were interwoven into the heart of religion. I'm sort of convinced of that because it's the reason that you just put forth. Now we have structure, we have the tradition, but we don't have the, the entree. We don't have the thing that probably was the front and center of these religions in the beginning. And then I think the structure probably grew out of the mystical experience. And of course, then the experience was sort of taken away over time. And now we just have the house, which is empty at the heart of it. Yeah, all you can see is the green screen, but I have the Telesterion from ancient Greece behind me, which is where the the main part of the Lucinian Lucinian Mysteries took place. Um, And you go back to that, you know, the Lucinian Mysteries, and then you have Plato, and then Plato leads to Neoplatonism, and Neoplatonism leads to early Christianity and, you know, Gnosticism and stuff. So you have this, like, causal line, and that causal line started, you're right, with psychedelic traditions. And, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I I think that that's something that the Western world has definitely missed out on, that um, you look can look to other traditions like the Mesoamerican sacred mushroom rituals and you know, other indigenous rituals and say, oh, they've preserved this, they've understood this. Um, and uh, you look at some of the quotes from like Plato and some of the other ancient Greeks that experienced the Lucinian mysteries, and it's almost like they no longer feared death. And I think if you, you know, you were only allowed to take, you were only allowed to take part in the greater mysteries, which had the psychedelic component in it one time in your life. So if all you had was that one time, to have that experience, you definitely would have that hope that, um, that, that curiosity would get peaked even more because you would have this experience and then you're not allowed to necessarily have it again. I know there's, uh, was it four, fifth, four, yeah, 415 BC, somewhere around there. Alcibiades, 
uh, profane the Eleusinian Mysteries at a dinner party, meaning that he had whatever the compound was at his house at a dinner party, um, and he was doing these things outside of the... So you obviously had people partaking possibly illegally or um, not, you know, recognized in the right way back then too. Um, but yeah, you just, you look at that and like where we are in society today. And again, I think our modern take on this is science because that's where we're kind of at. But uh, hopefully, like I said, we can kind of marry all these things together and um, come out with some sort of modern take on all that. Yeah, and just really quick, I'd like to say something about the idea of intention behind a ceremony, which is important. And I've found that out for myself through the journey, I would say most specifically with my last real heavy one. But of course, that will be talked about within any tradition, the importance of intention and to honor these things as medicines. I agree. I do. Of course I do, because I have seen the power of them for sure. And I just like to put a sort of every man spin on why that is the case. And I think it ties back to the idea that these things are sort of mirrors. So what I mean to say is someone who just took a couple grams and went into a concert, that's great. There's nothing wrong with this. Now, it could be described sort of as you were saying, oh, maybe that's a profane use. Mm, I don't know. It's a use is what it is. But when you're in that situation, if it is something like a mirror, well, now you've got a lot of sensory input coming in. And it, you sort of get, quite literally, the refractions and reflections that are different from everyday waking consciousness and that's cool and it still seems to provide usually something of a reset just physically with right. the mind and body right so like there are obviously advantages to doing these things even lower amounts or whatever and in, in settings that are generally comfortable yeah i would enough. never tell any because i have done it myself so i'm not like a hypocrite in that way i right i would only just say though my point was is that since i've evolved spiritually and philosophically that Looking back, I don't think I got out of those experiences what I could have gotten out of them. And I think that that's part of the point, though, too, of like being more mature about it. Right, right. And that's exactly what I was going to say. So like this last heavy experience I had, I went out to the desert in Texas. And for the most part, just so you guys have some idea, I do kind of use the mushroom alone and intentionally. But I mean, sometimes it calls for social use, too. So that's just to say there are different uses for these things. However, I think your point's right, and hopefully I'll illuminate it with this story. So I'm out there in the desert on sort of a formal vision quest, just allowing the environment to speak to me and sort of dictate how it goes. Okay, the last day, I was called to consume eight grams of the mushroom. It was more than I ever had in my life mm -hmm. at that point. And I was coming to this entire quest with the intention of merging with source. Like I was telling you guys, I've known that to be in existence but i just wanted to to directly become it and and then carry out sort of its lesson afterward and, and i think you'll see at the end of the story how i'm doing that now but so anyway so i'm there and i, I set my intention i focus it and i quite literally see this as being your intention as being like your thumbprint your unique fingerprint upon the grid work of reality. If you think about like the lattice that you see in some of these space documentaries, you know, where you got like the sun and the earth and right. warping space and time. Yeah. So boom, you're setting your intention on it in this, in that way with that visual, it sort of has like a gravitational effect, which will draw to you the information that is in response to that intention. Now, in short, I want to say that I don't think this has anything to do with what you think is going to come out of it because we're just too limited. We have a limited amount of, information and therefore we cannot forecast especially in these other spaces but what am i saying well the purpose of intention is if you focus it clearly and place that imprint 
you will get naturally the consequences of that intention. You see, it's like a very pragmatic reason that you ha- you should have a focused intention. And if you don't even know that exists as a process, you'll never be able to get the information that you need to grow, develop, and learn more about this whole process because you just you don't know it exists. So I, I think that speaks to what you're talking about. Yeah, like intention and focus allows this process to take form for yourself in such a way where you come out of it with usually something that's undeniable. So I came out of that whole quest with the notion that I can't delude myself about all of this anymore. I had written all my books at that time, but I had not put my full legal name on them for obvious reasons. I was just worried about my career path and I was working a job as a cargo pilot until about February of this year. So I just didn't want to potentially shoot myself in the foot career wise with aviation Hmm. by putting psychedelic author on my, my name essentially now with any Google search on my application will probably be thrown out. But, but you see, this goes back to the idea that I was telling you guys earlier, you take your call to adventure in the world, you go on a road of trials. It eventually will give you, that kind of treasure, what you think is highest and best use in the world. If, if you found that, you can't lie to yourself about it. You've got to begin to integrate that and bring it home. So that's exactly what I started to do. I quit that aviation job and now I'm out here in the world attempting to live out what I legitimately think is highest and best use for myself, sort of as a testament to the living hero's journey. Hmm. You but obviously j- uh, express yourself artistically through writing. Is there any other... Uh artistic endeavors you participate in yeah i I play i play music i play the guitar i have since my early 20s i don't do so a ton anymore and i guess that has to do with the journey too it it sort of seems like it is all consuming the more you put into it which which again man i just want to tie that back to the idea of having an intention being very important because you could get potentially much much more out of it than you ever would without having it and so like with my life to answer that part of the question i suppose i've just began to move along this this pathway this cycle and then sort of like watch myself do it you know like in in retrospect and say huh I guess my soul's expression is writing. <laughs> and this is after having published even a few books. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm acting this thing out. This is like quite literally these plant medicines helping me to get in touch with source. And now it is flowing through me and through the discipline of doing it, you kind of get out of your own way, you see, but it's not really like, um, I want to do this because it's fulfilling. It's, it's a, the other way around. It's, I must do this to, generate the or to watch and observe the fulfillment that comes into my life and then based upon that natural curiosity explore more and see what i can find so that's how it's taken form yeah you mentioned uh you were hesitant about going forward and putting your name out there and everything i mean i think that's something a lot of people think about if you're doing a podcast or talking about your experiences and yeah um, we were there at one point it seems like it's becoming more accepting though with all the studies and all the uh, news and things are kind of trending in a new way in that regard. Um, I mean, look, I, you know, I've talked a lot about my OCD and how it helped me reset, you know, psilocybin helped me reset and allow the CBT, you know, the therapy and all the different uh, other aspects to take hold and allow you to do some real work and, and figure some things out. Um, so it's like, what do you, am I supposed to be quiet about that, that I had all these issues before and none of the other conventional things helped me, but this 
did. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, I, I need to talk about it and then whatever, if, you know, somebody doesn't like it or whatever, or it's makes my life a little bit tougher. At least I'm speaking my truth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're putting it out there and it's almost like you're giving license to, to others to do the same thing. And I think that's, that's why it's almost a responsibility that we talk about the truth, right? Like what form it took in our lives, these medicines. Yeah. Yeah. Your occupation has a lot to do with it as well, though. If you're a pilot, I could see there's a lot more ramifications. Right. But that's like, I was telling you guys, that's really what that last quest gave me. It's you're going to lie to yourself and you're going to live an unfulfilling life. And you just couldn't do that. And not so coincidentally, too, I'll say on that note, ultimately, it was my decision to quit. I quit this February, but it kind of wasn't like the job got so terrible and so unbearable that it was like, you see, the journey almost makes the decision in some sense for you. It's like it's caring for you. It's like, look, you think, you know, and we're going to show you for sure that you are correct. You need to exit. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes you just need to do something different or try something mm-hmm. new. And I think that um, there's a lot of people out there reconsidering things and changing things up. And I think that uh, sometimes you need that mix up, shake up to kind of uh, head down a new path or a new passion or whatever the case may be. Um, so is that is, is the pilot thing, is that something you're ever going to go back to? Or is this, are you trying to do um, more of the writing and podcasting and that kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah. I hope I'll never have to go back. I might have to at some point in the future, but I basically set myself up with, with the ability to give this visionary author thing and hopefully just speaking more about these things. I think even than than the books, the best possible chance I can, uh, just in short, a couple years ago, I went through a cycle like this that was similar. And, and I think there's a universal point that this story highlights. So I'll just mention it in brief. I jumped out of aviation a couple of years back and I tried to go into real estate, basically flip a house. I bought a fixer upper and my motivation was simply that I wanted to stand on my own two feet financially. I, I really didn't want a job or an employer. So I tried to do this and I, I got burned real bad. And I had basically my life savings into it at that point and I was on the edge of bankruptcy. So this forced me back into aviation. And then that cycle kind of ended the way I just told you guys. But within the first cycle there, I was still aimed at money, right? the dollar sign, the almighty dollar sign. That was basically my intent. Now, I would say that's not highest and best to use. I would say for anyone, really, just to be aimed at that. I think that is the, the pinnacle of the illusion. It's interesting to note that temptation within the heroic cycle, that's like the six o'clock position of the circle. So six o'clock is the exact opposite end from where 12 o'clock is, right? And if you think about 12 as being the start and end, that's like source. That's like the figure eight, infinity. Mm -hmm. And then temptation could be represented by the dollar sign, which is half of source barred off from completing itself. You see, so Mm -hmm. I was navigating a couple years ago, according to that, I was navigating by money still. Of course, of course it blew up. Of course it was. It's, it's an alluring thing. I mean, I, yeah. I, I come from real estate actually, and I'm from Chicago or I am in Chicago. So, uh-huh. uh, but I can tell you that even people that know what they're talking about and know what they're doing, lose money on those kind of transactions that you're talking about. So it's not, you know, the housing market goes up, it goes down, you know, there's different trends. And, uh, if you bought it in, you know, a good market and you fix it up and put a you know, decent amount of money and you try and sell it. Well, I mean, it's not guaranteed that you're going to get all that money out of it either. So, uh, it's that's a very tough thing to do, especially if you weren't familiar with that going in. So I wouldn't 
wouldn't feel too bad about that at all. Right. And that is just a version of, of a, one of these cycles that I'm talking about, right? Like being the fool, stepping off the cliff. Why in the world would I do this? I didn't really have any construction knowledge. So in some sense, you can almost expect to be burned by going into something that you're totally ignorant of. Right. I, but again, I think it, it speaks to that sort of faith I had in the process. So that took me to the edge of bankruptcy. But it also brought me into Austin, Texas, because I was living in a different part of the country at that point. And living here, I just see that it was necessary for me to get here for my evolutionary path of development, which is now giving me, again, meaning and fulfillment that I couldn't even have imagined living where I previously was psychologically and physically within the country. So you see it does, it like develops your pathway and the journey so that you find more meaning. And it seems like over time that just continues to grow and to wrap that right into where I'm at now with all of this. Now I see that I don't give a rat's ass about temptation, about that dollar sign anymore. I don't. And I'm, and personally, I mean it. I'm not trying to like egoically flaunt that. I'm just saying there's a reason why many of the ascended masters or the sort of profound prophets of world-renowned religions have forsaken being caught up within the illusion or money as it's physically represented. Why? Well, because it keeps you navigating in a certain way just for example if i wanted to be aimed at money i wouldn't be quitting a well-paying job and trying to make it as a visionary author it doesn't make any sense at all no one cares so right. why would you do that what are you navigating according to what i think is more real source the infinite figure eight the cycle and so that is the navigating principle that is is being applied and actively lived out and of course there are a road of trials within it but then again we get back to that faith it's almost like there is a benevolence to this process. And when you see that through your life experiences, it might be the point of why we exist at all to touch upon that. Like if there is a cosmic hide and seek, we begin to realize, oh, I'm the one who's hiding from myself. And now I see it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would go even further. I would just say like things like the more things you have in general, just weigh you down. I'm not saying don't work hard or don't have nice things if you want them or anything like that. But the more things you have, you know, I, I just, um, it's like the, the person with four hobbies, you know, they're, they're never going to become amazing. You know, like let's say, you know, somebody plays the guitar, they're a painter, they're, you know, you know, they might be a polymath and they can do all these things, but they'll never be like truly amazing at one thing. And, um, I've felt that in my own life, I feel like I can only do one thing well at a time. I've, played music I've recorded I've gotten good at the guitar I've you know um, done different things artistically in my life but I feel like to really do something you have to kind of put your focus and intention all on that one thing Absolutely. right and you know that's a really good life example of sort of what I was talking about out there in the desert for myself with the psychedelics I was talking about a, a focused intention right how is it any different from what you do with your your particular discipline in the world, your whatever your art or your mode of expression is. I don't think it is. I think we're placing our thumbprint upon the grid work of reality at all times and based upon how focused that is through whatever it is that, that our expression, our mode of expression is, then we could generate results that are consistent with doing what I just said, allowing spirit, allowing the transcendent to short, sort of unveil itself to you through that. And again, if you begin to engage with that process, it becomes like self-evident that there's a cycle in that for a reason to, to wake self up. And then hopefully too, with the example of the musician, that only doesn't wake you up when you engage in allowing spirit to flow through and to, to show you something more about the nature of reality, but it does so for your fellow man. You know, it's like, we're all kind of waking each other up through our 
specific expressions of source. And that might be thought of as like the union process of individuation, something like you become more unique in this way. You don't become more bland vanilla, which is sort of odd. You, do, you become more of a specific representation of it and bring something of value to the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what's next? Are you going to write more books? Are you, are you working on anything currently? Yeah, man. Uh, like I've been telling you guys, this last series, the visionary quest series, there, there are currently four out in that series, but you were right. I have five books total. The first one was a psychedelic heroes journey, traveling nobody. But with this visionary quest series, what it really is, is it's just a series of short trip reports per book. And there are about 11 of them per, per book. It's short, entertaining, and follows the narrative of, of me and my life. It's all nonfiction. It's as transparent as I could be. But from the perspective of me being just one representation of the infinite, which is no different than any other human going through. It just happens to be that this is the way my battle between love and fear and order and chaos manifested. But these forces, they're acting on all of us. So anyway, hopefully that's sort of contained in an entertaining and campfire-esque story-like way throughout these trip reports. But deeper than that for myself, even if not a single person ever buys any of the books, I'll most likely continue doing them for the rest of my life because they're massive pivot points that I have used within life in order to give me that next big breadcrumb to continue on the cycle and then reflect, look back on it and begin to abstract meaning order from it and hopefully, again, clarify and bring that to the world as having reality to it behind it. So right now I'm almost done with the fifth book in the series and essentially where that is with my character is I think I found the treasure. My highest and best use at this point in my life, it's got to be writing about such things, talking about them, or just interacting in the community in a way to hopefully bring this particular version of understanding to the table, more or less. And that I know is the case, but the work is to bring it home. You see, so I'm really invested now in, in basically going more public and making that work for myself. And this fifth book is sort of allowing me to to consult the visionary in medicine as to how to best make that happen. Nice. Beautiful. Um, well, do you want to do a Patreon segment? We can wrap it up here and then if you have some time, we can do a Patreon. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you guys run like a completely different thing on Patreon or how does that Yeah. Work? I mean, it's just a different segment for our paying customer. Okay. Like yeah. You, you yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. but I was just, uh, saying let's wrap it up here. We'll definitely have you back on. Uh, this was a fascinating Absolutely. conversation. And everybody can go check out his books. I have the link down below. I will also incorporate his website in there. And, uh, yeah, check out his podcast, Traveling Nobodies. You're on Apple. I think I was listening mm -hmm. to a couple on there. Are you on all the Spotify mm -hmm. and all? Yeah, okay. yeah, the main ones. Yeah. Okay. So go check those out for sure. And uh, we appreciate uh, John coming on. And before we get out of here, head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. We are about to start one right now with John, and I will upload that later. Um, and also, you, basically, if you like our show, it's only $2 a month. It's a whole other catalog of episodes and segments that aren't available on any other uh, audio or YouTube. So go check those out for sure. And one more time, head on over to indrasweb.org. This is the social media platform we created to connect open minds. Whether you want to speculate, hypothesize, theorize on metaphysics and all the topics that we discuss on this podcast, head on over there and set up a profile. And, uh, 
yeah, thank you for your time, John. And like I said, we'll have you back on again in the future. And uh, everybody stay tuned for the Patreon segment. And uh, that's it. We love everybody. Stay safe out there. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.